Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Fightful Boxing Podcast. It is October the 3rd, 2019. I'm your host, Carlos Toro, and we're here to discuss Gennady Golovkin versus Sergei Derevyanchenko. You'll get to hear from both fighters. you get from a recent media call that I participated in not too long ago. Also going to talk a little bit about Clarissa Shields looking to go, looking to achieve history and become the first fighter, both male or female, to become a unified world champion in three different weight classes in just 10 fights. Faster than any other boxer in history, male or female. We'll also discuss some of the fights that took place recently, including an excellent one between Hiroto Kiyoguchi versus Tetsuya Hasada for the WBA light flyweight title. I love that fight. I stayed up all night to try to make sure I don't fall asleep and be able to count, uh, miss the fight, but Really enjoyed the fight. We'll discuss that a little bit more uh, during the show. And also the very breaking news regarding Afni Yildirim. We'll get to that in just a second. But before you do, if you're listening on YouTube, subscribe to our Fightful MMA and boxing channel. Head on over to our Fightful Pro Wrestling YouTube channel for plenty of podcasts and reviews regarding WWE Raw, SmackDown, NXT, and All Elite Wrestling. It's going to be a fun time here to be a pro wrestling fan as you got NXT and AEW finally going head to head. Last night, or at least last night as of this recording, was the first show that had NXT, the first night that had NXT and AEW at the same time. I gotta say, really, really loved both shows, and I really, really enjoyed it, and I can't be more excited to be a wrestling fan nowadays. Head on over to Fightful.com for all the latest news regarding pro wrestling, MMA, and boxing. But without further ado, time for the Fightful Boxing Podcast. We're gonna talk first about the breaking news that hit us this morning regarding Avni Yildirim, the WBC mandatory challenger for the super middleweight title, or at the very least, the presumed mandatory challenger. Well, that no longer probably that no longer seems to be the case. He failed a drug test back in back in September for the banned substance, and I'm going to butcher this name, so please bear with me as I say this, Metoclostable, it is an oral anabolic steroid that he tested positive on September 13 on a random drug test in Big Bear, California. The WBC was notified of this on September 26, and we got the news right now on October the 3rd. So, yeah, a lot of a lot of people are actually kind of excited, really happy to hear the news. Because here's the thing with surrounding Avni Yildirim and David Benavides. I know PBC is really trying its best to sort of maybe push a potential fight between David Benavides, the WBC champion, and Caleb Plant, the IBF champion, uh, for a unification fight. But 
We all know that fight was never going to happen next. It's not going to happen anytime soon. It's going to take place summer 2020 at the earliest, if I were to make a guess. And that is being very generous. But now, this does change a lot of things regarding David Benavidez's immediate fight future. Here's why. Yildirim was supposed to be the mandatory challenger. He was going to get a shot at Benavides's title because of the way the fight between Yildirim and Anthony Durrell, the previous champion, ended back in February. There was a big brouhaha when it comes to when it came to the way the fight ended and going to the scorecards and a technical decision. Yildirim lost, barely lost the fight. And he protested, didn't want the fight result to be overturned, but at least he wanted another shot at the WBC Super Middleweight title. And so the WBC made a compromise. He will get, he was going to get a shot at the WBC title, so long as David Benavides, the champion in recess, lost his title because of a failed drug test, ironically enough, back in, well, September 2018. So we got the fight, Benavides defeated Durrell, and at least internally within the WBC, the plan in the weeks heading into the fight was that it was going to be the winner of the Durrell-Benavides winner versus Yildirim. And now this really changes up a lot of things because now it almost seems like the, the floodgates have opened, and now David Benavides could potentially have a much bigger fight in his hands for his first world title defense in this second reign. Now, the three names that a lot of people are excited to see or want to hear, want to want to see fight David Benavides, they are, and, and this is by looking at one, looking by the WBC rankings. First is Chris Eubank Jr. Now, he is the IBO champion. That doesn't really factor into really anything. Uh, but, but the important thing about it is that Eubank is actually the number two ranked fighter in the WBC rankings. That's very important because if the WBC is really intent on pushing through a fight between David Benavides and a mandatory challenger, the next man up is Chris Eubank Jr. So, and uh, let's not forget, there was a point where Eubank was actually going to be the, named one of the two fighters to fight for the Den Vacant title last year, or at some point in the last 10 months or so. And then there was a big fallout between Eubank and the WBC at the WBC convention, and so we, that's why we got Anthony Durrell versus Afni Yildirim. But since then, Eubank is sort of, sort of aligned when he's aligned, or at least involved with PBC in some way, shape, or form. He defeated James DeGale back earlier this year, I think it was in February, over there in the UK. And Eubank, we have not heard anything from him since then. And it's very, very bizarre that we have not heard anything regarding a potential fight anytime soon. So it's possible that fight can happen next. But it really depends on if the WBC wants to make sure that Benavides makes a mandatory defense of his title. The second name... And that's another fight that the WBC could potentially order. It's one between him and Callum Smith, who is the WBC Diamond title holder. And before I explain what, and before we get really get into why that fight could potentially happen, the Diamond title is essentially a trinket. It's a belt. It's nothing really that you know that valuable. But it, what it does is. It does give the WBC a, you know, a, I don't know if loophole is the right word, but then it will give them an excuse to order a fight between two world champions. Because you have the diamond belt, you are technically, you know, part of the WBC championship committee, uh, not committee, but you're in the group of champ of WBC champions, even though the diamond belt is really, really worthless, uh, let's be honest. And this is not the first time the WBC would even try to pit a world champion that has a diamond belt versus the WBC world champion, and they failed. If it's, uh, as far as I can recall, it, all those attempts at ordering a unification fight, they pretty much failed. So, I don't know if they're going to try to do this again, 
But if they can't, but if they order that fight, that's not going to take place for a very, very long time. Because Cal Smith is defending his WBA world title against interim title holder John Ryder on November 23rd in, in Liverpool. So that fight's not going to happen anytime soon. So really, you can kind of cross out that fight from, you know, David Benavides' immediate fight future. Then, the third name is obviously Caleb Plant. A lot of fight a lot of people wanted to see. I want to see that fight. That would be a hell of a fight. But I don't know if WBC is, if PBC would be, would want to make that fight so soon. So it's possible that you're going to spend, take the rest of the year, maybe marinate that fight a little, uh, a little bit more. And you know how much boxing fans love to hear that word, marinate, but... That is the business that, that we live in, so I would not be surprised if David Benavides and Caleb Plant, if that fight ever gets made, it's not going to take place this year. So, reasonably, among the immediate candidates that could fight uh, um, David Benavides, really, it's Chris Eubank Jr. He... He had a tremendous performance against James DeGale. He doesn't have any fights lined up for him. There's almost not even any news regarding on a potential fight for him next. So, really, we have the WBC convention coming up in the coming weeks. So, why not make that fight? I, I, would, I would be more than okay with having this fight as a substitute for... You know, for a Benavidez versus Yildirim fight. And to be honest with you, I actually think... David Benavides versus Chris Eubank Jr. is going to be a better fight than uh, than if Benavides were to fight Yildirim. That's you know I think Eubank has really grown in that fight against James Segal Jr. I still don't think that he is as good as many prophesize he would be, or at the very least his father prophesized he would be uh, years ago. But I do think Chris Eubank Jr. is a solid, solid super middleweight. And he's a guy with, and I've said this in the past, Chris Eubank Jr. has a ton of gifts. From a physical standpoint, the guy is unbelievable. But you look at you know, his skill set, and all you get from him inside the ring, it's raw talent. And he hasn't had a proper trainer to really, you know, hone in and sharpen that that tool set. So, really, all you're getting is just a guy that's kind of more or less getting by just based on his natural gifts alone. And not really, you know, without the use of any real training. It's going to catch up to him sooner or later when he goes up against, you know, world-class fighters like David Benavides. And I think Benavides wins that fight, and I think he stops Chris Eubank Jr., but I still would like to see that fight. As for Yildirim, obviously it, the WBC is investigating this, but kind of seeing how this, how this kind of stuff happens, I would not be surprised if Yildirim gets... You know, gets punished, gets handed down a six-month suspension from the WBC retroactive to the date uh, of the initial drug test fail. So, if it is September 13th, Friday, September 13th, that would mean a six-month suspension would mean he'd be out of the ring for uh, until March 13, 2020. So, now you're looking at at least 13 months out of the ring and let's be honest, Avni Yildirim, he looked pretty good against Anthony Durrell. He fought, he fought well, but let's be honest, you know, he's not faced, he's not going to fight, he's not going to beat the likes of David, David Benavides, he's not going to beat Caleb Plant, not going to beat Callum Smith. He's, I don't think Avni Yildirim beats any of the world champions uh, at this uh, at this stage of his career, I mean, he's 28, and he'll be, you know, he he just turned 28, so there's still he's kind of more or less in his physical prime, but you know, he's lost he's he's lost to Chris Eubank Jr. He's lost to Anthony Durrell. Uh, I don't see Anthony Yildirim getting that much better to the point where he where I think he'll win a major world title by facing any of the top three, top five guys. And he's gonna be, and he's now gonna have to use 2020 as, you know, as his year to just shake off the ring rust. So really, Agni Yildirim challenging for a world title—that's not gonna take place until maybe 2021, if we're being completely honest with you. So 
listen, I'm not saying that, you know, he... Um, I don't know the full facts on this, but if Eodrim did, in fact, knowingly and willingly took an oral anabolic steroid, how stupid can one guy be to be uh, to have to take an anabolic steroid like that? I mean, you have essentially a world title fight, uh, you know, on, served to you on a silver platter, and you just throw it all away. That was real stupid, real boneheaded decision for Avni Yildirim. I don't know the full facts on the thing, but if it does turn out that he didn't knowingly and willingly take a banned substances, you know, that I, there's no sympathy for the guy. He wait, He had an opportunity. All he had to do was wait. He didn't even need to fight to get another shot at the world title. All he had to do was wait. So, I don't know about you, but Avni Yildirim... Boy, that's, this could not be any worse for his career, really. So now moving on to this weekend's slate of fights. And we got Gennady Golovkin against Sergei Darvianchenko in the co-main event of this the zone card from Madison Square Garden. It's really, it's, it's for the IBF middleweight title, the vacant the, uh, IBF middleweight title, and there's a lot of really interesting subplots heading into this fight, and I'm just not, not just talking about the world title main event that we got in store, but there's a lot of really interesting fights between uh, on the undercard, and the undercard, I believe, it's a very solid and very underrated uh, card. You got Ivan Boranchik against Gabriel Bracero. You got Israel Madrimov, the you know the Russian, uh, not Russian, uh, Uzbekistan uh, pro uh, super prospect slash contender. You know he's already in a four profile. He's already a world title contender against Alejandro Barrera for the WBA Intercontinental Junior Middleweight Title. You got Ali Akhmedov against Andrew Hernandez. Un the undefeated Brian Ceballo against Ramal Amanov. You got Camille Sharometa. You got Nikita Ababi. Ab Ab I, I really don't know how to pronounce the name. But the point being, you have a lot of really good fights on this undercard. And I really do recommend you know checking out the undercard. I really think that this is going to be a really awesome card. But for the main event, Golovkin... His career for the last 24 months has been very, very interesting, very bizarre. You have the fight, you have the first fight against Canelo Alvarez, which was what it was. It was a draw. Many thought Golovkin won. Uh, I, I believe I had Golovkin winning by one point, or at the very least, had it a draw. I think I had it a draw. Then you had the the failed attempt at getting the rematch for Cinco de Mayo 2018 because Canelo Alvarez couldn't get away from that from that tasty, tasty, contaminated Mexican meat. And then you had the actual rematch take place last September and another close fight. Canelo lost that. I mean, Canelo won that one. Golovkin lost that one. And now you got Golovkin trying to get that third fight against Canelo Alvarez, didn't get it, got the fight against Steve Rolls, who, no disrespect to Steve Rolls, but I don't think many of us were really considering Steve Rolls to be a legitimate world champion, a world title contender or world champion contender. I like Steve Rolls, you know, I just never thought there was a chance he was going to beat Gennady Golovkin. But now you are entering the stage of Golovkin's career where he's 37. He's going up against a younger, hungry, middleweight guy in Sergei Darvianchenko, who's not that much younger. He's only four years younger. However, Darvianchenko is a guy who fought Danny Jacobs last year, was really, really close in beating Danny Jacobs. That fight ended up being a split decision. And now you're now in, in a position where Derevianchenko has Andre Rosier in his corner, and Andre Rosier is has prepared for Golovkin in the past. 
So he knows how to uh, how to prepare for Golovkin. He hasn't been successful in beating Golovkin, but at least he is probably the best guy you can probably ask for in terms of scouting Golovkin and seeing what he can do and preparing for that fight. And the fight between Golovkin and Derevianchenko, it's very interesting. Derevianchenko is the underdog. But I think this fight is very, very close to being a 50-50 fight. I think Golovkin is no spring chicken. He looked real. He looked good against Steve Rolls. There was a bit of a moment in the fight where Golovkin, I want to say he got hurt, but he got tagged real good by Steve Rolls. And that put a lot of people, you know, that gave a lot of, uh, that put a lot of people on the edge of their seats. And some people thought... Maybe, maybe this is it for Go Maybe Golovkin is not the fighter that that he once was. And let's be honest, Father Time is undefeated. But you look at Golovkin, you look at Jonathan Banks. You, you know there is still a level of uncertainty of what this version of Golovkin will look like against a top ten middleweight. No disrespect to Steve Rowe, but he is in that top ten middleweight. But Derevianchenko is. He's very, very strong. He's a very he's a guy that will make the fight very uncomfortable for you. And Derevianchenko in that fight against Danny Jacobs, you could tell, especially early on in the fight, Derevianchenko didn't really know what to expect against a guy like Danny Jacobs in a world title setting. Obviously, Derevianchenko and Jacobs have fought each other, have sparred against one another for a very, very long time. They've had hundreds and hundreds of rounds of sparring, but that's not the same as being in a natural fight. And, and he, But even to a certain extent, you could tell that there some both guys were kind of going for the motion, trying to figure each other out, how to best attack each other in, in, a, in a pro fight setting, not in, a, in the gym, not in a sparring session. And and I got to ask Golovkin about that fight, what he thought about Sergei Derevianchenko. And here is what Golovkin had to say about Sergei Derevianchenko and what to expect for in that fight uh, against him on Saturday. Gennady, did you get a chance to see Sergey's fight against Danny Jacobs last year? And if so, what do you think of Sergey being able to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with a guy like Danny Jacobs at that point in his career? Да, я видел этот бой, это там действительно был такой, такой бой, как работа спарринг, спарринговый бой, так как они давно друг друга знают и давно с друг другом работают постоянно, в принципе. И этот бой показал, что они действительно как бы один, ну, что один, что второй, они знали свою работу, просто один справился, второй не справился. Я имею в виду, что там как бы большой, большую роль в этом сыграл угол, то есть если... У них один тренер, если бы тренер был, смотря на какой стороне он был, на, на тот момент он был на стороне Джейкобса, Джейкобс победил. Если он был бы на стороне Деревянченко, то, скорее всего, и Деревянченко победил бы. Ну, то есть там такой бой был, как спарринг. Yes, I saw the fight. It was a very technical fight. It felt like a sparring session in a way. Uh, it felt like both of them knew each other really well. Uh, they knew what workload they had cut out in front of them. And really, the decision was made by by the corner by the corner of the fighter. Depends on which corner the trainer would have been in. That fighter would have won. If the if the Jacob had the right coach in in his corner, he would have won. And if Sergey uh, had the right coach, he won. That was Golovkin, and I I think Golovkin, I think Golovkin is the rightful favorite, and I do. Uh, expect Golovkin to win that fight. However, I don't think it's gonna be as you know, as wide as some people make it out to be. Darvianchenko, as I mentioned, he has this incredible amateur pedigree. Almost got, you know, skyrocketed into the main uh, world title picture with just a few fights into his pro career. He was already a mandatory challenger with, what, 10, 11 pro fights under his belt? And now you're putting, and now Darvianchenko is a guy that ha already has tasted you know, fighting at the world championship level against a legitimate top five middleweight in Danny Jacobs last year, I think he's a better fighter 
the this year than he was this time around last year because of that experience of facing a guy like Danny Jacobs. Here is what Derek Vianchenko had to say when I asked him about getting that experience from fighting a guy like Danny Jacobs and what he's taken from that fight and will and how he's going to apply it into this fight. You know, I, I'm sure you would have loved to have won that decision against Danny Jacobs last year in your first title challenge, but having the experience of facing a guy like Danny Jacobs and going toe-to-toe for, for the most part against him, do you feel like now you're a better fighter because you had that experience of facing a guy like Danny Jacobs, who some argue beat Golovkin uh, a couple of years ago? Uh, вопрос такой, Сергей. Да, вот взяли бой с Джейкобсом. Ну, вы думаете, современный бой, это как бы из этого боя вы стали и лучшие боксеры, и сейчас вы, может быть, еще бой лучше готовы за бой, как с Головкин, потому что много людей думают, что Джейкобс сам победил Головкин пару лет назад. Ну, я, да, я чувствую себя, чувствую сильнее, Чувствую как бы опытней, потому что бой с Головкиным дал, дал мне много как бы, опыта, э, и опыта и в бою с такими боксерами, опыт и в тренировочном лагере, как надо как бы, готовиться э, к таким прям, большим боям. Э, и, и тоже как бы, мне очень большой опыт дал э, бой с Кулькаум. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with triazicide insect killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on triazicide insect killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com. For all the great deals happening now. Yes, it did give me the experience, and I think it's the experience that's necessary, but not just the Jacobs fight, the, the fight with Coquet as well, uh, give me the experience, and it also proved. Uh, to me and to everyone else, that I do belong on this level. I do belong with the best middleweights in the world. And as a result of that, I'm strong, I'm ready, and uh, I have experience. So a quick rundown of the undercard. Real quick, I, I, just another quick rundown. you got guys like Ivan Baranchek, Israel Madrimov, Ali Akhmedov. It's a very, very solid undercard. I do recommend watching this fight. So as for my predictions, in the, um, at least for the top five fights, or at least what I think will be the top five fights in this card, kind of going from, you know, bottom to the top, Brian Ceballo against Ramal Amanov. I like Brian Ceballo. He's... I think he's one of the more underrated welterweights prospects out there. I think he's going to win. He's a very strong fighter. You know, I think he's a guy that's capable of knocking guys out in pretty spectacular fashion. He's now starting to get dip his toes, do eight rounds. He's going to go up against a guy in Ramal Amanov. You know, not really that much of a big name. He's... He hasn't really faced a whole lot of good competition as of late. He's on a three-fight knockout streak. But you look at the guys he's faced, it's, you know, the combined records are for those three opponents are zero wins, two losses, and one draw. And one of those fighters was on his debut. So not much to, there's not much to take away from Amanov. He's 35 years old. He's, you know, his knockout numbers aren't really all that impressive. You know, he at one point he got a DQ win over Rancis Bayano uh, back in 2015, and then after that he 
was out of the sport for nearly two years, and since then he hasn't faced anyone of note. So I don't think Amanov knows what to expect with Sabayo, and I think Sabayo wins this one. I think he stops Rommel uh, Amanov. Ali Akhmedov versus Andrew Hernandez for the WBC International Silver Super Middleweight title. That's a mouthful. Uh, Akhmedov, he's a guy that I I really, really like. He's a guy that I think has solid potential to potentially challenge for a world title much, much later down the line. He's only 24, so there's no rush to really put him in a position to fight for a world title. But getting these types of fights against veterans such as Andrew Hernandez, I think that's going to work out very well for him. And I think uh, Ali Akhmedov is going to win this fight. I think this will go to the scorecards. He's, you know, Andrew Hernandez is a guy, he's been stopped before. He's been knocked out. But you look at the names that he's faced. I mean, they're no, you know, they're no jokes. He fought Jesse Hart. He's fought Caleb Plant. He's fought Patrick Teixeira. He he went the distance against Caleb Plant and Patrick Teixeira. So that kind of tells you that the guy is capable of taking a punch, despite essentially being outclassed in every single round. Interesting enough, this is a very fun stat. Out of the 18 rounds that Andrew Hernandez has fought. Between Caleb Plant and Patrick Teixeira. On all three judges' scorecards in each individual fight, in total, Andrew Hernandez has only won one round. He has lost every single round on every single scorecard from every single judge except for one round. So, I mean, more than anything, he'll take a punch and Akhmedov will test him, but I think Akhmedov wins this one by decision. Israel Matrimov against Alejandro Barrera. I like Israel Madrimov. He's you know three and zero, but he's already at a position where he could be fighting for a world title. You know theoretically, uh, I I'm not sure if I think he's ready. I don't think he's ready. I, I think he's in a position where I mean you could theoretically put him in a world title fight right now, but. I think he's in a position where he's not really ready and he still needs a little bit more seasoning. Guys, his last fight against Norberto Gonzalez, he dominated that fight, but I don't know. It, feel, it felt to me that he still needed more experience fighting at the pro level. So, uh, I don't know. I, I think, you know, Israel Madrimov wins this one, but I don't think that this will be the fight that catapults him into a, a world title fight next. But I like Israel Madrimov. I really do. Ivan Baranchik against Gabriel Bracero for the in, uh, vacant WBA Intercontinental Junior Welterweight title. I like this fight. It's, you know, it's a, Ivan Baranchik for his first fight after that really, really nasty-looking beating he took from Josh Taylor back in Maine. I'm surprised he actually came back in just in less than five months. So kudos to kudos to Baranchek for recovering. And I think Ivan Baranchek is one of the better junior welterweights today. I think he's one of the best. I think he's still a top 10, 140-pound boxer right now. But he's going up against Gabriel Bracero. He's 38. Hasn't really picked up a really meaningful win in a very, very long time. His last big win was Danny, I guess Danny O'Connor. You want to say if that's a that that's a big win, Danny O'Connor? But uh, barely. Uh, and before that, the big win was Dimitri Salida in Salida's final fight. I mean, he's faced a lot of a lot of veterans, a lot of older guys, and its results have been mixed. So he has not faced a guy like Ivan Baranchik in a very long time, if ever. I think Baranchik wins this one. I think he stops, you know, Gabriel Brasetto. I think you know there. I don't think it's much of a contest right then and there. As for the main event, Golovkin against Sergey Derevyanchenko. I like this fight, as I mentioned earlier. Golovkin is. He's still, in my opinion, the second best middleweight in the world. But they, but even I have to admit, there's a little bit of uncertainty when it comes to this Jonathan Banks-Golovkin unit. Not that I think that the partnership is not going to work. I just don't know what I'm getting yet. Because the fight against Steve Rolls, it hasn't really told me anything. We knew Golovkin was going to dominate Steve Rowe. We knew he was going to knock him out. Not really, that, that fight didn't really tell us anything. But with Aravianchenko, 
when we saw that him face Danny Jacobs, he was a guy who didn't know what to expect uh, from Danny Jacobs in that kind of environment, fighting on HBO, fighting on Madison Square Garden for a world title. But now that he's gotten that experience, I think he's a much better fighter. I think this will be a very close fight. I could see Golovkin winning this very, very closely, and I do mean like 116-112 on the scorecards. Golovkin probably might drop Sergei Derevyanchenko because you know because Derevyanchenko was dropped by Dan Jacobs in the first round, so we could see a knockdown or two. I think Golovkin wins this one on the scorecards very, very closely. I think it's going to be a very good fight. I think it's going to be a very fun, very fun night of boxing over there at the Garden. But that's not the only world title fight that's going to be taking place on October 5th. We have a women's world title fight over there in Flint, Michigan on Showtime. Clarissa Shields against Ivana Habasen for the unified, vacant WBO and WBC Junior Middleweight Championships. It's, as I mentioned at the start of the show, Clarissa Shields has the opportunity to become the first fighter, male or female, to win unified title, to win more than at least two world titles in three different weight classes in just 10 pro bouts, male or female. No one's ever done it before in history. And this is pretty significant. I mean, we are now living in an era where women's boxing is now starting to get a much bigger you know, share of the spotlight thanks to women like Heather Hardy, Amanda Serrano, Katie Taylor, you know, Michaela uh, Mayer, and obviously Clarissa Shields arguably leading the way, uh, not to mention also Cecilia Rakes. But, you know, when you look at this fight, Ivana Habasen, uh, I, I don't know, there's, I, I didn't like her performance uh, against uh, you know, Cecilia Breakus some time ago, you know, he, I, I just don't think Ivana Habasen is the fighter to beat Clarissa Shields, I mean, let's be honest, we look at her, Clarissa Shields' career, French on Cruz de Cern, Nikki Adler, Tori Nelson, Hannah Gabriels, Hannah Rankin, you know, Christina Hammer, aside from getting dropped once uh, against Hannah Gabriels, really, Clarissa Shields has not really faced any adversity whatsoever. She's dominated every single fight, in, you know, in her career. So I don't think that this is the fight for Clarissa Shields to lo to lose. Besides, she she has I don't know if a chip on her shoulder is the correct answer, but she's very motivated to fight in front of her hometown fans in Flint, Michigan. And I asked her about that and about the timing of her 10 pro bout and I believe what her 7th world title fight or 6th, 7th world title fight uh, finally being the homecoming fight that she's wanted for some time. I asked her in a recent media call and this is what Clarissa Shields had to tell me about fighting in Flint, Michigan. So my first question is, you know, I'm looking, you know, this fight is um, your first pro bout in Flint, Michigan, and I'm surprised, on, admittedly, I'm a little surprised you haven't had one a little, uh, sooner into your career. I just wanted to ask, you know, what what does fighting in front of your hometown fans mean to you, especially with all that you've accomplished? And did you think that you would get this homecoming fight sooner in your career or later in your career? Oh, no, I feel like that the fight came at the right time. I wanted to be super accomplished when I went back home to Flint, and that's just because I wanted the kids to see that, you know, I like that I'm from Flint, Michigan, and I've accomplished all this, and I'm and I'm not waiting to the end of my career to come back to Flint. I'm coming back and I'm coming back to Flint in the peak of my career. You know, I'm coming back while I'm a world champion, while I'm an undisputed champion, while I'm breaking records. I'm bringing a fight back to Flint, and I feel like. Me becoming a three-time division world champion, the fastest boxer to do so in 10 fights, beating Lomachenko's record, I feel like that was a perfect fight to bring back to Flint. While we have, you know, all this water crisis stuff going on, I just feel like, you know, right now was the right time to just inspire the city and inspire the kids. You know, is this fight, you know, being your first at 154 pounds or is it your first world title fight at that weight class, is this 
sort of the start of a journey to maybe try to do the same after you did 160 and unify the entire division, or is this sort of a, a one-time deal at 154 and then move back up to middleweight? Um, I don't really know yet. I feel like it really depends on how I feel during the, during the fight. I feel great right now. I've been feeling great in camp. Um, I've been eating healthy and dropping the weight the way that I'm supposed to. I've been hydrated. So it's just all about, you know, going into the fight, actually uh, touching 154, getting on the scale, and getting in the ring. So I won't know till, uh, what I'm going to do till, I, till, till after the fight. And that was Clarissa Shields. I really like Clarissa Shields. I, I know a lot of people... Don't really like her. She's to some. She's maybe like what in a choir taste or anything. I do like Clarissa Shields. She is. She's very outspoken. But listen, she may have her opinions in boxing, and I, you know, I may disagree with them from time to time. But that's her opinion. She's, you know, she's she has the right to share her opinion in boxing. And skills wise, you really cannot deny that she is arguably the best female fighter on the planet right now, pound for pound. Some may argue Amanda Serrano, some may argue Katie Taylor. If you ask me right now, October 3rd, 2019, I think Clarissa Shields is the best fighter, uh, pound for pound, followed by Amanda Serrano and then Katie Taylor. It's, uh, it's pretty much been a, it's a three-woman race between those three for best pound for pound fighter in the world today, but I think right now Clarissa Shields is the number one fighter, and I don't think she's going to struggle all too much against Ivana Habasin, but Ivana has really done well to get back in a position to fight for a world title after the loss to Cecilia Breakers a few years ago, after losing to Michaela Lauren. She's done well. She's managed to get five straight wins. It hasn't been against really solid competition, but she's dominated the, every single one of those fights. So I do think that Ivana Habasin, you know, is more comfortable fighting at 154 than when she fought at 147. Uh, I don't know if, you know, if 154 is more her natural weight, but she is someone that could potentially present some problems to Clarissa Shields uh, maybe early on in the fight. I, I talked to Ivana Habasin about that fight and about the about what she thought about her, the fight, which was originally supposed to take place in August, being postponed because Clarissa Shields suffered an injury uh, during training. Here's what Ivana Habasin told me about this fight. You know, Clarissa has mentioned sort of saying that she, is, she thinks it's foolish that, you know, you, you talk about knocking her out. Uh, especially for home fans, um, you know, it's, do you have, you know, what are your thoughts and kind of Clarissa sort of shutting down any possibilities of you knocking her out? And where does the confidence come from in saying that you're going to knock her out when Cecilia, when Clarissa has never even been beaten before? I, I think I can punch, you know, and um, the difference before was like. And some part, I I wasn't like Finnish people, <laughs> but that was my problem. Right now, it's a different story. And um, like I said, I made the best preparation ever. Never, ever before in my life I didn't do preparation like this. And uh, I feel strong. I really feel strong. So, And I think I have power to, to knock people out. So um, for this fight... This is my goal because I will not, I, I don't believe, you know, like in just scorecards. So when you knock somebody out, especially in that big fight, that's the only way how you can win. And I, I was really prepared for that all the time. And last question, you know, when obviously this fight was originally supposed to take place a couple of months ago. And so what was your what was your first reaction when you heard that the fight was going to be delayed for a couple of months or at least it wasn't going to take place in August as it was originally planned? My first reaction was, damn, I will not see my dogs two more months. <laughs> so, you know, that, that's boxing. Everything is possible. Maybe in some some way I maybe expect something like that, you know, but you never know something can, everything, everything is possible. Everybody can injure and all this stuff. 
but um, that's it. We we got the other dates, so I prepare myself to to stay in the camp, training more, and um, maybe with this, actually, she helped me because I feel I'm much better right now. Thank you, Ivana, and best of luck on on October the fifth. Thank you so much. Now, real quick, I'm going to give my predictions for this fight. I think Clarissa Shields wins this fairly easily. I think it's going to be on the scorecards. I'm, you know, at most maybe maybe Ivana gets a round or two, no more than two. I think Clarissa Shields dominates this one. She becomes the new 154-pound world champion. We'll see what her future is going to be after this fight. I'm really interested because she is still the undisputed middleweight champion. So... It really all depends. I think I would love for her to sort of see and try to unify the 154 pound division. And I, I, you know, if she can make weight and has no and have no problems making 154, I say go for her. I, I think seek. I say she she should seek out the challenges of unifying 154 and becoming boxing's first ever female two-time undisputed champion. The undercard is. Pretty good, actually. You got Jermaine Franklin against Pavel Sauer. Uh, Jermaine Franklin is a heavyweight prospect that I really, really like. Uh, he didn't look all too great against Jerry Forrest in this last fight. Uh, he dominated Rydell Booker back in April. So there, there is a lot of intrigue surrounding what which Jermaine Franklin we're going to see. He's only 25, so there's still a lot to, you know, uh, there's still a lot to learn about Jermaine Franklin. He's still a prospect. He's not going to be touching the world title anytime soon. So if he if he looks good against Pavel Sauer, and then maybe you should start thinking about giving him stronger opponents as we start to see what kind of fighter he is in terms of maybe potentially moving him, uh, giving him top 20, top 15 opponents and seeing if he's really a world title contender. And then you got uh, also in the co-main event, Drawn Ennis versus Damian Daniel Fernandez. Ennis... I'm going to go out and say it. I think Ennis is one of the best prospects in boxing right now. Guy is a beast of a welterweight. He's only 22 years old, but he's a guy who is so damn impressive. He's so strong. I think Boots has what it takes to be it has what it takes to be a world champion or at least fight for a world title within a year or two. He's only 22 years old, so there's still a lot of, you know, a lot of growing for Jerron Ennis, but my God, how could you not love the potential that Jerron Ennis brings to the table? He's a guy who can who sparred with lots of top names throughout his year, and he's looked damn good every time they put on on Showtime on Showbox. I think he's got what it takes to be a world a world champion. I think he's gonna I think he's gonna stop Damian Daniel Fernandez within the first three or four rounds. I mean, he's done that for what the last four or five fights. Yeah, that's another thing about Drawn Ennis is he's a guy who is very aggressive, very strong, but and he'll and he'll attack his opponents from the get-go. So I think Drawn Ennis wins this fight fairly, fairly easily. I'd say third, fourth round TKO. And lastly, before we wrap up this episode of the Fightful Boxing Podcast, got lots of really got a real good fight from this past Tuesday that I think I'll, I think you should all check out. It was a fight in Japan for the WBA light flyweight title between Hiroto Kiyoguchi against Tetsuya Hisada. I gotta say, this was, for a while, it was threatening to be the best fight of the year. It was it was on its way to becoming better, or at least on par, with Sean Porter versus Errol Spence Jr. The action between both Kiyoguchi and Hisada was amazing. It was very entertaining. It was well worth staying up all night just to be able to see those two fight it was it was actually a, a closer fight than I thought than I originally thought on paper I thought Kiyoguchi was gonna stop Tetsuya Hisada but Hisada proved to be a very very worthwhile uh opponent he's a guy who 
was essentially on his last legs in terms of fighting for a world title, and this was essentially his last shot. And he made the most out of it. I thought this was one of his Hisada's best performances in recent years. And Kayaguchi gave us a a, a, a top 10 fight of the year. I highly recommend you guys check it out. You, I believe it's still on YouTube. The company, uh, the broadcast company, MBS, they broadcast that fight live globally for free. You know, thanks to a partnership between them and Asian Boxing. The, you know, I gotta say, AsianBoxing.info. You guys, if you guys want good not just good great coverage on uh, on boxing from the world of uh, from the world of Asia, Japan, the Philippines, China. You I mean those guys are unbelievable. I really do recommend uh, checking out this fight if you can find it. It's very fun. Kiyoguchi retained the WBA light flyweight title by unanimous decision. This was, again, one of the best fights of the year. I love this fight. Uh, I really am excited for a potential showdown between Kiyoguchi and the WBC champion Kenshiro. I don't know if that fight's gonna be able... I don't know if that fight's possible for the December 31st show in Japan because Japan loves doing these December 31st super shows. I don't know if they're going to do it for them, but although that would be perfect for that kind of environment, for that kind of atmosphere. But 2020 sounds more reasonable. I do got to say, between the great fighters at 108 pounds, I think arguably the two best fighters in that weight class are Kiyoguchi and Kenshiro. They're that good, and I got to say, I really, really hope that fight happens. And again, really recommend you guys go out of your way to watch this fight. Lots of action. Very, very good back and forth exchanges throughout the entire fight, really. Personally, I had that fight scored 115 to 112 in favor of Kayaguchi. And he won that fight within... And he won that fight right around those... Um, those margins. So, really excited to see uh, to see it. So, really excited. And that about wraps it up for this edition of the Fightful Boxing Podcast. As I mentioned, head on over to FightfulBoxing.com. Subscribe to our Fightful Box uh, MMA and Boxing YouTube channel. And head on over to Fightful.com for all the latest news in pro wrestling, MMA, and boxing. Call Storo of the Fightful Boxing Podcast. We're out. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.